0: Okay, so we're still in Unit Four Babylon's Treasure or Jesus' Reward. And we are in point C the Lord is our portion and reward. We talked about how Abraham, where was Abraham called out of? Abram was called out of Babylon. And in the same way, we are called to come out of the Babylonian system of this world. We are called to be holy distinct, consecrated to the Lord, different from the Babylonian system. We are called to do things God's way, not Babylon's way. We are called to choose the Lord as our portion, to draw near to Him, to worship him, to serve him, to minister to him, to bless in his name, to choose him, no matter if we are in plenty or in want, and not to envy those who seem to be excelling in the Babylon system, because we know that like the beasts that perish, they too, in all their pomp, in all their glory, even if they have cities named after them, even if they have buildings named after them, it's all vanity. It means nothing. We are called to come out of Babylon to live for the Lord. So, we're going to go back again to Revelation chapter 18. This is about the fall of Babylon. Now, Babylon, yes, it was an ancient world empire, but it also biblically, for all the way back to Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel, is a symbol. It's a symbol for the global, the whole world, one world order being united together, but in rebellion against God, trying to make a name for themselves, Rather than glorifying God. So, yes, we have read passages from Revelation 18 in a prior uh section. These are actually the scriptures leading up to the passage that we read before. And this is more pertaining to how believers are supposed to come out of the Babylon system before the verses that we read before were about the fall of Babylon. This place, the whole world is going down, the whole world is going to. To be judged by God. The whole world is going to burn in the fire of judgment. And it will happen in an hour. It will happen in a day, in a moment's time. Unexpectedly, it will come upon the world like birth pangs come upon a pregnant woman going into labor. It will happen when the world is least expecting it. And by that point, it will be too late. And so these verses before those verses are warning believers, are calling out to believers, come out from Babylon. So let's take a look. Revelation 18 starting with verse 2. And he called out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And we talked before about how sexual immorality, we just talked about how it can be whoredom. When you go after the money rather than going after God, you are like a whore who is selling out for the things of this world. So, and we we've also covered how all people are like the beasts that perish if they are focused on money and taking their comfort or confidence in money rather than in God. So, uh, John who's writing the book of Revelation and giving the words of the angel who is speaking in this passage, is he lists out all of these beasts, and then, you know what? The next thing he lists in that list is all the nations all the nations, everyone who is not included in the covenant with God have drunk the wine of the passion of Babylon's immorality, sexual immorality against God. And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. They are in whoredom with Babylon against God. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. So this is the whole world all kinds of trade all the rulers of the world are all gathered together in the Babylon system in rebellion against God and I will say the sexual immorality it is an image for selling out doing things the way of the world the way of the Babylon system in these passages Babylon is often personified as a prostitute and so she is prostituting herself with anyone who she can get to engage with her and pay her money so Babylon is is the prostitute and the kings of the earth have committed uh, immorality with her. So just so you have a deeper understanding of what that analogy uh, is. Um, now, in this day and age, there's also a lot of other kinds of sexual immorality going on, and that is covered extensively in some other passages because those who are committing those types of offenses against God, that is clearly pervasive in the Babylon system, but it is it is unacceptable and forbidden among the people of God. And people who commit sexual immorality, both the spiritual metaphor of it and also the physical, literal sexual immorality of it, those will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So just to put that out there, that's what the scripture says. There you have it. I don't have anything else to say on that. So we are up to verse 4. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out from her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. Now, this is why these scriptures. So yes, Revelation 18 has its own flow. But in what we're evaluating, looking at the way of Babylon versus the way of God, we read the passages that are describing the plagues that are going to come on Babylon those are the the passages that follow these verses that we're reading now but we read them a class or two ago right so the the plagues are about to be poured out on Babylon and as the people of God if we have not set ourselves apart from the ways of Babylon then her sins will be our sins. We will be just like her. We will share in the plagues just like Babylon does. If we're in the Babylon system, if we have not set ourselves apart from Babylon to live for God, then all of the plagues of the book of Revelation are going to come upon us. So it couldn't be any more clear. And there are other passages pertaining to historical Babylon and then also the spiritual example of Babylon uh, throughout the prophets the prophets really talk a lot about this but if you want to look um more specific passages that are very similar to this one in Revelation 18. You can look at Jeremiah 51 uh, or Isaiah 52 has some things about uh, coming out of Babylon, Uh, and there are other passages in the Old Testament that have the same sentiment of you've got to come out. Just like Abraham came out of Babel, we've got to come out of the Babylonian system, which is this world, this world order, whereas going to the one world order, we've got to be Separate from that and set apart from that. We're just finishing up with verse five, Revelation 18. For her sins are heaped as high as heaven. So here's the thing: when a city throughout the the Old Testament, and we can see probably the first example of this. Well, the first example might be the flood. If the the cries against the violence um, had reached up to heaven, I'm not sure. I'm absolutely certain though that the cries against Sodom and Gomorrah reached up to heaven. Okay. So the cries against the wickedness of Babylon had reached up to heaven. The sins had reached all the way up to heaven and gotten God's attention. When they reach up to heaven, God cannot any longer tolerate or be merciful on the sins that are being committed. He has to bring justice or he is not a just God. And so now it's saying the sins are heaped up as high as heaven. And God has remembered her iniquities. So this is the thing. When God remembers your iniquities, you're done. You are done. D-O-N-E, done. It's over when God remembers your iniquities. But let's get this straight. So it's like you've had this big, long record of sin and uh, arrogance and treachery against God. And you think, hey, I'm getting away with it because God hasn't judged me yet. Eh, wrong. God just hasn't remembered all of your sins yet. When he remembers it, it's like you go to court and you stand before the judge and then your entire record of sin is brought before the judge and it's like, oh, okay, so for all of these offenses, this is the punishment. Yeah, you thought you were getting away with it. You didn't get away with anything. Okay? But here's the beauty of the new covenant. We've got to come out from Babylon. We've got to place our faith in Jesus and the atoning blood of Jesus and his resurrection, that he is alive, he is ascended, he is seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven with all power and authority in heaven and earth and under the earth. Hallelujah. But... What the book of Hebrews says, and this is also tracing back to Jeremiah 31, 31, the promise of the new covenant, he says, I will cut a new covenant with the people of Israel, with the people of God. And in this new covenant, I'm paraphrasing and shortening it up a little bit, but I will write my laws upon their hearts and I will remember their sins no more. So that this is where, okay, when God remembers your sins, it's over. You're getting punished. You're getting judged. But if God remembers your sins no more, you have no record. You have a clean slate. You have nothing against you. God has nothing to remember against you. There is no punishment for you because the punishment has already been paid by Jesus. That is the benefit of the new covenant. God can remember the sins of the whole world against the world system of Babylon and all the individuals in it. But if we are in Jesus, then we stand before God. He has no sins to remember because they've been washed away by the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Welcome to the gospel. It is awesome. All right. So Peter he talks about this in 1st Peter. He says, "You are a chosen race, and a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light." Okay, Babylon is darkness. Jesus is light. Come out of the darkness and come into the light. And Peter continues, and this is skipping to verse 11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. So again, we're hearing that again. Abraham, the hall of faith, they were sojourners and exiles in this world. They were not living for this world. They were living for the city whose builder and maker is God. They didn't care if they were living in a tent as a wanderer here in this world because they were looking for a city that was built by God. So Peter is saying, you are a sojourner. You are an exile in this world. In Babylon, you are are sojourning in Babylon, but even while you're in Babylon, you have to be separate from it. You have to know that you are in exile, that this is not your home, that your citizenship is in heaven, that you are looking for the heavenly city. But he says, as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. He's saying, look, I know Babylon is offering you every pleasure that there is, every pleasure of wealth, every pleasure of business, every pleasure of sexual immorality, every pleasure of your flesh and indulgence and comfort and greed and gluttony and every pleasure that you could ever imagine that's what the Babylon, that's what this world has to offer. But Peter is saying, no, you're a sojourner here. You're an exile here. Don't do it. I know that it's a war against your soul. It's a war trying to get you to go the way of Babylon and not the way of God. Don't do it. Regard yourself as an exile whose this world is not your home. And then the last scripture here is Hebrews 11, verse 6. Remember that without faith, faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. We've got to believe God and that he rewards. His reward is for those who seek him. Okay, so one last separation between Babylon and the Lord being our portion, trusting in the Lord, seeking after the Lord. Okay, the contrast between relying on money versus relying on and receiving from the Lord what he has for provision for us. So, we're going to quote there again a couple of things from Proverbs and some other scriptures that really get to the heart of this. So, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10 and 11. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth Is his strong city like a high wall in his imagination? Okay, so this is the difference between, all right, people who are rich, they think, well, I'm so rich that I can't, nothing bad can happen to me. That, you know, like I can pay my way, I can buy my way out of any predicament right it's like a high wall in his imagination even if someone were to break in he could probably pay that person not to kill them you know it's this it's just like a strong city in his imagination and don't forget the first person that ever built a strong city was Cain okay so a rich man he's like his own little Cain he's like his own little Nimrod he thinks oh my riches they are my protection they are my strong city but To the righteous man, the righteous man, whether rich or poor, the righteous man, the name of the Lord is his defense, is his tower, is his protection, is his everything, is his portion, right? The name of the Lord is the portion of those who place their trust in him. So Proverbs 11, verse 28, whoever trusts in his riches will fall but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Hallelujah. So if you're trusting in your riches, you're going down. You're in for a stumbling. You're in for a fall. But the righteous will flourish. A green leaf just perpetuates new life. It's like freshly budding forth, a green leaf, new life, always producing fruit, right? Hallelujah. First Timothy 6, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, now this is New Covenant, and Paul is speaking to Timothy about how to govern and administer the Ephesian church. These are the letters from Paul to Timothy. He's saying, yep, there are people, they are believers. You know, you don't have to be poor to be a believer. You don't have to be rich to be a believer. There are believers who are rich, and there are believers who are poor. And the encouragement to each group is different based on what they are, and it's also the same based on what they are. So Paul is speaking now, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, Don't think of yourself as better just because you have money, because you have a lot of stuff that isn't worth anything in the kingdom of God. Don't be arrogant about that. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. So don't be one who trusts in riches because you'll, you'll fall, you'll stumble. Don't put your hope on riches, but in God who provides us richly, with everything to enjoy. God abundantly, richly supplies everything for our enjoyment. So our trust, even if you have a gigantic bank account, don't be arrogant about that. And don't put your trust in riches or in your money. Keep your trust in God. God richly provides everything for your enjoyment according to His purposes. And God offers this as a free gift. So we're going to look at Isaiah 55, one of my favorite passages, starting with verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. And so maybe this doesn't make sense, but we talked about the Laodicean church. The Laodicean church, they thought they were rich. And Jesus was saying to them, you're not rich. You're poor. You have nothing. You don't have any money. You think you're rich. You're poor and pitiable and blind and naked, right? But hey, come buy from me gold. So this is kind of like that. He's saying, come and buy. If you have no money, come and buy. If you have no money, come and buy without price. It's like, this doesn't make any sense. But the things of God cannot be bought. The things of God, you know, they can only be purchased through faith, through faith in God, through devotion, through faithfulness, through belief. That's how we partake and participate with God. To believe Him, to understand Him, to grow with Him, to draw near to Him, we will have real food, real bread, real wine, real drink eternally. Come, He says. You have no money? Come and buy. I got the marketplace for you. (laughs) A place for people with no money can buy because it's the things of God— that can't be bought with the money of this world. And Isaiah continues, Why do you spend your money? Well, this is the Lord through Isaiah. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? So he's like, You're striving after all these things. You spend your money on food that's not food. Your labor, 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 and you'll never be satisfied. Even when you get what you think you want, it still won't satisfy you. Why? Because God is the only thing that can satisfy you. If God is not your portion, then you will constantly be looking and wanting for something else. Only God can satisfy. He says, listen diligently to me and eat what is good. So, listening to God is eating. That's eating. That's real food. He says, and delight yourselves in rich food. So, listening to God, that is rich food. Jesus, he says it this way in John chapter 6, verse 27. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Hallelujah. And Jesus in that same passage, this is where he says, my flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. Why are you out there sweating and toiling with thorns and thistles in the curse when all you have to do is come? Come, to me. Listen to me. Open your ears to me. Open your heart to me, and I will give you real food. And even Jesus said that his food is to do the will of the Father that's my food. I When you're doing the will of God, you won't even have an appetite. I call it reverse fasting. When you're so full of the Holy Spirit that you don't even have an appetite anymore. You know, what fasting is, that you, you stop eating, you don't eat, so that you can get more full of the Holy Spirit. But what I call reverse fasting is you get so full of the Holy Spirit that you don't have a natural appetite for food anymore. It's a wonderful thing. Praise God. Hallelujah. And the last scripture in this portion is from Revelation chapter 21. This is the end, right? The end of the book. This is the victory that we all have if we have placed our faith in Jesus. With verse 6, he said to me, It is done. It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give not sell, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Now, what is the water of life? We're back to Eden. See, Babylon is nothing but a counterfeit Eden. But God, he created Eden, all things for mankind to enjoy, for mankind to rule over, for mankind to watch, multiply, and partake of. And in the end, in the new heaven and the new earth, we will be restored to that river of life, that river of God that we will drink from, the spring of the water of life without payment.